Hi, I'm Ryan Johnson. I wrote and directed this film. Uh, I'm Joe Gordon-Levin, and I'm in it. And this horse is coming right at us! <laughs> ah! But this is the old logo, right? No, it's not. We really wanted to get the old 90s TriStar logo. It's and pretty uh, remnant. No, it. it's this is new school. No, we oh. wanted the I wanted the old one where the Pegasus comes and flies and that optical effect happens and the wings come out that were on those those great old movies. I just and, saw a Pegasus. And no, it's a different Pegasus. This oh. is going well already. Already <laughs> I feel like we're giving the home entertainment buyer their <laughs> their money's their worth. Their money's worth. <laughs> so Company logo. When you have a production company, what's your logo? I am be? not going to have a look. It's a pet peeve of mine. This is a great way to start the commentary by complaining about the logos of the people who financed it. It's a huge pet peeve of mine, actually, those huge, long, three minute long animated logos. Anyway, hey, look, it's a movie. So, this first shot was kind of because we did this whole thing with your face that we'll go into it's at some length um i felt like it was going to be really nice to have to have this first shot be something that just puts it right out there and we start just looking at your face and we take a nice long look at you and kind of come around you and, and take the time to kind of absorb um absorb what's going on face face wise i remember when we shot this particular shot we went and did a whole touch-ups session, went mm. back to the trailer and gave Jamie a good half hour to yeah. make everything totally perfect with the face. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Uh, and actually in that same shot, in a lot of that field stuff, um, you can see, uh, we, because we didn't have a lot of space to work with with that corn, you can actually see the outline of what is Sarah's house. It's Kane. Behind there. Not corn. Oh, Kane, yeah. It used to be corn in the early drafts. In the, the script, script, it was corn, yeah, but... You can't find corn in, in Louisiana, where we shot. Uh, this location, this power plant was, uh, this kind of old abandoned power plant was an absolutely gorgeous location and it was a safety nightmare. Um, and it was also, the kind of the back side of it is where we also shot the sequence where Bruce gets put in the time machine uh, and also kind of the flashback where you see um, uh, where you see Zach closing his loop when you're explaining. Right. But this place was, uh, I mean, it just looked like this. We didn't do a thing to it, and it, it was stunning. We, we put that hatch-type thing in, but everything else is just the way this place looked. And this was actually the first day of shooting, if I remember. This was day, like, negative one. Right. Yeah, we, we cheated. We did, like, a test, a couple of, like, quote-unquote test shoot days where we actually snuck that in. I feel like now... This is no longer the first day of shooting. No, this is not. Uh, we built this diner. This was a build. Uh, both the exterior... It was an interior-exterior set, which which means that, you know, it was, it was what it was. There wasn't a separate set for in and out. And we built it out there in the middle of nowhere, and... Um, uh, it was funny because locals would actually stop in and <laughs> ask, ask the construction team like when when it was going to open up. They were really excited to have a have a new diner in the town. Mm -hmm. So where did you get the term blunderbuss? Well, blunderbuss is I mean that is an actual gun. It's a it's a um, it's an old style gun which. Uh, is actually, I mean, it's, it's, the function of it is the same as this one. It's kind of just a hand cannon. Uh, blunderbusses are, are, are flared at the end. Mm -hmm. um, they're, you know, in the old Thanksgiving uh, paintings. Right. They're what the pilgrims are Aaron Burr. carrying. Aaron Burr, exactly. 
Uh, this is back to day night. This was the first stuff that we shot with you, I think, right? Right. Yeah. This was the same day as... No, this was at, like, day negative two. That was my hair loss joke that I threw in there. <laughs> that was Joe's. <laughs> I'm always happy when people catch that. <laughs> and all this kind of vamping at the beginning, I, for whatever reason, for all the stuff with the loopers, I, I had been watching a bunch of... Um, I had gone back to Godard. I had gone, gone back to watching a bunch of French New Wave stuff because I wanted there to be kind of, like, a loose... Um, the way that it feels when the people hang out in those movies mm -hmm. and the kind of loose casualness of it. Um, and so that thing with the gun directly to the camera felt a little like that. El mundo. Mm-hmm. So you can see the, the, the way that we kind of did the city here, our approach to the city. Everything is, this was a long stretch of O'Keeffe Street in, uh, in New Orleans and we dressed the entire length of it. That was a huge, huge deal for us on our budget, was dressing the length of that whole street. Um, and most of, I mean, all the stuff you see on the ground is actual dressing. And we'll be coming back to that street right after the scene. But for instance, the, the broken down buildings in the background and the graffiti, um, not there, but if we go back to the wide, no, we're not going. <laughs> Basically, anything deep background where huge stuff is done to, like that little thing on the big thing on the wall back there. Uh, obviously, the stoplights, those are added digitally. But everything else, all this dressing you see back behind was was all practical. Ed People Ver intense. Yeah, Ed Vero, our production designer. And this was a practical effect. Paul actually had a little rig with a uh, the quarter on a little uh, wire right. that he fed up through his finger. Not a digital quarter. No, 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 no. It was something, it was a big pain in the butt, but I actually was really insistent on was uh, for all the little stuff that was going to float around in the movie that we put stuff on wires and shoot it for real. Um, just because I, I always feel like, you know, if something is made digitally that's supposed to be floating, first of all, your eye goes straight to it because you expect it to be a digital object, so you're scrutinizing it even more. Yeah. And there's always that kind of cartoony feel to it. So. It, always, it still does. Yeah, 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 yeah. One day, we'll actually believe the digitally created things, but for me, it's not there yet. No, it's... I mean, there, you see some great work that's done, but it's... Well, that was... I mean, the face was the first digital versus practical discussion we had. It was a right. very brief discussion. Yeah, we always wanted to do it with makeup. Huh? Well, I just... I mean, facial... Anytime you start digitally doing something to what's supposed to be a realistic human face as opposed to an alien face, mm -hmm. I just... There's... You can't do it. It just... It looks ridiculous. I agree. Piper! There's Piper. Uh-huh. I'm excited to... Uh, on the DVD, there's... Because there was a... Originally, there was a little exchange there with you and Noah Segan. Oh, see right here. This is a practical quarter just hung by a string. Right. And we actually tried. We painted it out because the effects guys were like, don't you want the quarter to have more play and fly uh -huh. around? And I was like, well, give it a shot. And we tried it, and it just it never looked right to my eye. And so I said, you know, even though it's just going to be hanging there, put it back and just paint out the string, and let's, let's go with the original quarter. Uh-huh. Oh, so you tried a cartoon quarter. Yeah, we tried. We gave it a shot. Yeah, yeah. The blunder, just like little technical things, the blunderbuss blast that was all, uh, we shot kind of like a particular gun and matted in the, the blast, the flare effect afterwards. Right. Um, on set, we had a little thing in the gun to create the smoke, but the actual flare was after the fact. 
And we'll kill him like any other job. Oh, look, there's Emily. What? <laughs> look has just shown up in the studio with you us. You guys are amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, just appeared out of nowhere. Looper-like Miss Emily Blunt. <laughs> Hi, Loops. Yay. Hi, Emily. Hi. How are you? Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, Emily, you're great in this scene. I am fantastic <laughs> in this scene. That's me, right? Yeah, that's you. Yeah, and that's yeah. me also. That's it. Already, It's my cousin Adam who just went by on the right. There are like 30 Johnsons uh, in this movie. <laughs> we already just saw Doesn't your dad. Your dad yeah, did yeah. I miss your dad? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even mention. Yeah, well, we'll come back around to him. My dad right. plays the bouncer. I love so. your dad in the movie. Oh. I love this shot. Yeah. This was fun. So we actually, the way that we shot this, um, oh. this was Steve Yedlin's idea, the cinematographer. We... We shot it full frame. We didn't shoot it anamorphic. We shot basically um, a, a square format, and then we uh, went in and cropped it and did the spin digitally just so we could get it perfect, mm -hmm. just because we oh. knew it would be a nightmare if we tried to physically spin the camera. This kid, so <gasps> yeah, good. Where did you find him? It, just local casting. He's, he was in New Orleans, and um, I wish I remember his name, but he was he was so good, and mm. he was such a trooper because it was cold out there, and so we would have heat lamps, and then we would pull the blankets off him, and we'd do a take really quick. Yeah. And there was, it might be in the deleted scenes, I'm not sure, originally he flips Joe off, yeah. yeah, and he didn't know what flipping off was. Oh, bless his heart! And so I asked his dad if it was okay, and then basically I like showed him how to hold his hand. He didn't. He thought it was like he didn't know what it meant. Oh, good. And then I worked his hand like from underneath, like a puppeteer, and jerked it up into frame. <laughs> I'm probably gonna get arrested by uh, child services now. What's that? Fourth loop closed this month. Loop closed. Here we go. There we go, man. It was so amazing for me watching this part of the movie because I wasn't privy to you any of it. You around for any of it. Yeah, schedule-wise, schedule we were we did like the first half of the shoot in New Orleans in the city, and then you only showed up really when we moved out to Thibodeau yeah. for the farm stuff. Right. So yeah, this is all uh, this is all new. This music track, this is one of like a montage segment set to this music track, so we can talk a little bit about Nathan Johnson. This music is phenomenal. So good. I mean, yeah. he's cool. such a talent. It's spooky. Yeah. He did. Did you guys see those those videos that he? Uh, I saw the first one. I got to watch the second one. He put this video online, Emily. Mm -hmm. That's like it's showing how he created the score just using found sounds mostly. Because that's his. That's that. That's really what he works from a lot. Is that right? Uh, well, in this one it was. In Bloom it was more traditional instruments. Brick it was kind of like found sounds. Mm. But the, but this it was really heavily digitally manipulating the sounds and slowing them down three thousand percent and just. And creating. like, what's an example of a found sound? He that would find? he would record um, like for the percussion, for instance. Uh, he had Noah bring the Gat gun into his studio mm -hmm. and he recorded all the little clicks and clacks it made. And then he basically manipulated those sounds and built a drum kit out of it. Wow. And, um, but he would also, he recorded like the uh, uh, treadmill in his uh, uh, apartment in New Orleans and then slowed it down and found this natural rhythm in it. Mm. Also oh. worth mentioning Sun Lux, his collaborator. Yes. He's really good at that. Stuff. Sun Lux was a heavy duty collaboration. I love Paul. In Paul the scene. Dano. That's great. Yeah. So I don't know why I asked. This was fairly early in the shoot, and I remember this, uh, I'm not remembering right, but this might have been the first, like, heavy, heavy scene that we did. Yeah, I think that's and, right. And I remember it, there was, like, when Paul came in and brought it up to that level of, mm -hmm. of emotion, there was definitely a shift on the set of yeah. the people kind of, you know. The guy with the sack over his head, um, 
he was a, he was a, a local extra. He's a really sweet guy, and he uh, he, he was uh, the. I told him to sing a song, and he said, "Underneath the sack." And he asked, "What song?" And I said, "It doesn't matter. Just something you know you can sing over and over again." And so he sung a. Uh, I see the, the the producers out there looking at me nervously. I'm not going to sing a copyrighted song. No, you he, can say it. He he sung uh, a. I believe it was a LSU fight song. And he just sung it over and over and over. What's and LSU? It's a university. It's uh, in Louisiana, Louisiana State oh, okay. University. And um, he sung it over and over and over again. And just for the rest of the shoot, just we'd be hanging around the camera cart, and then someone would say the first <laughs> verse, and everyone would, would hate them. Fifteen strides till he's out of my range, and they come and they go. That location, that was just, I mean, that's another thing where we just stepped into and found it like that. Uh, Joe's apartment was a build. This was one of our few onstage mm. builds uh, where we, because we had all the gag with jumping out the window and falling into the den and everything, um, we decided to Ed Vero. To not actually let Joe jump not out. Actually, no, we figured, because it was early in the shoot. <laughs> we needed him a little A lot to get done, to get to the real stuff. <laughs> that sound is amazing. I remember we worked on that sound. <laughs> I was like, no, it's more of a... <laughs> he thought I was a little nuts. Noah Segan, ladies and gentlemen. Yay. Here comes Kid Blue. Here comes Kid Blue. Kid Blue's entrance is, to me, the funniest moment in the movie. And no one ever laughs at it. I think me and you are the only two that, that find it really funny. And yeah, has yet to get a laugh in the theater. But I, I, I think it's really funny, too. <laughs> Uh, I gotta say, one of the hardest things to play is sheer terror, and I think Paul yeah. does an amazing job. It is, I, it is, it's a tough thing to play, you know, mm. yeah. to play over and over, you know. I can't imagine how exhausted he was at the end of this day. I mean, this was such a grueling, emotional scene, and we just spent the whole day doing it. That little thumbs up that he does, he Paul came up with that. I think <laughs> no, it's it funny. is funny. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it is funny. Jesus. Because you already know as he comes through the door that he's not great with a gun. <laughs> you, know? you just know it's all for show. I think it might be funnier if you know Noah. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I think that's maybe the trick to it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Mr. Paul Dano. It was really, I was just so blown away that he was he was down for coming out for doing uh for doing that part. I remember when I found out that he was going to do it, I was like, really? Yeah, that's me fantastic. too. fantastic. Yeah, me, me too. The fact that we could, you know. Yeah, an actor of his caliber and that yeah. he was psyched about coming out and, and doing these couple of scenes. It just Where was this location? Amazing. This was another build. This mm. was um uh like all that concrete is actually just foam. It's um uh just terrific set design. But this I had for some reason I had this really specific layout in my head where it was a temporary space and the door was set up high in the wall mm. and there was just like a ad hoc ladder that they had set up and um, for whatever reason, I, I just had this really specific layout in my head, and we were never going to find it, so um, uh, so we decided to just build it. And Noah did a lot of training, Noah a lot of gun spinning like training. Super, he he's really good. He got really good at it. Yeah. That he looked, got calluses on his index finger. Oh, he did? He yeah. Did, yeah, he was really into the gun. He found, like, a guy who trained him and everything. That little fumble that he did with the gun was an actual mistake that... He's probably pissed at it. <laughs> <laughs> he worked for months so exactly. that he could do it flawlessly, yeah. and then he used the mistake. Uh, 
This is my other favorite moment in the movie. This is what it's actually like between me and Noah. It's true. Usually. It's a typical lunch. Amazing. Yeah. We had to work a lot on that moment, now, actually. How did you until, do that? Well, I mean, it's just perspective. I mean, the thing just swipes back behind his right. head and he, he moves with it. Um, the sound that like having that distinct cartoony scream was something we at his was something yeah. we added kind of late because we found that it needed it yeah um, that moment it just took a lot of playing with to find how to how to get it to to land it was playing flat for a while is, is this Jeff Daniels first this is Jeff Daniels yeah, yeah. Oh, I love him. Yeah, he's so good man. he was so cool man this is my second movie with Jeff. Is we were in, it? We, we were in a movie together called The Lookout. Mr. Scott Frank. That Scott Frank wrote and directed. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so it was so cool to get back with him. Yeah. It was, like, right away, easy, comfortable. That was, I mean, that's a big part of why, I mean, besides just the fact that it's Jeff Daniels, that was a big part of the reason why I thought it'd be so good. Just the, the mm -hmm. dynamic you guys had in that movie, I could see it translating yeah. really well to yeah. what was going to happen here. And uh, he was so excited, I remember about, he told uh, Sharon Davis, our costume designer, he told her how excited he was about his costume, because it was basically a velvet robe. Yeah. <laughs> so comfortable. <laughs> I was like, just going to say. He's like, I can, I can die in this. I mean, he's so comfortable, yeah. not only in the robe, but on screen in general. Just, he is eased back in that chair. Jeff, he would also, he, would, he was coolest dude he would have uh, he would have his guitar. He had like a little uh, portable electric oh, guitar cool. with headphones. And in between takes, he would just sit and, like, work on his guitar. That's a guy who's been He's on a, a lot guitarist. of sets. Yeah. yeah. And then you gave me one of those guitars as I a did. Rep gift. That's Aww. right. Very figure, sweet. Figure you, use it. <laughs> you can see on the table the hammer right there. And there was actually originally a beat in this scene uh, yeah. where, I forget if we put it in the deleted scenes, there was originally a beat in this scene where halfway in there, in the conversation, just at a random point, there's a lull. And your eyes flit down. It's after. It's a ways after he said, "We're not going to smash your hands with a hammer." And your right. eyes flit down to it, and he looks down. And he goes, "That's that's just here for something else yeah. later. That's a <laughs> bad coincidence." I'm doing. But for some reason, it it played better on paper than it did. Uh, just for whatever reason, the scene didn't end up needing it. It's an interesting thing. What you when you get into it, what you end up cutting, and and why. Mm. I have so many deleted scenes. And some of my favorite, like, individual scenes are actually in the deleted scenes yeah. or on the cutting room floor. That scene with you and, and Garrett yeah. in the basement. How dare you come I know. Oh, right. How <sighs> Maybe if you had been a little better. <laughs> <laughs> Garrett's good work I would still be in the movie. I didn't bring it. <laughs> Sorry, honestly, Garrett. Didn't bring that on. Uh. <laughs> uh, it's funny, though. It must be even more surreal for you when you write a script and... That what works on the page is sometimes not what translates, and then what you think will just be an average scene is going to be way more than you ever anticipated. Yeah, I mean right. that's that's all that's all you guys, you know. That's and that's the fun of it is just being surprised by you know right. seeing how you guys bring it to life. And but there, it's it's true. There's um, I feel like if there was like one writing superpower I could ask for, it'd be the ability to see in the writing phase what's actually not necessary. But there's yeah. and maybe as I you know. I get better, you'll, you'll that'll 
Because you're terrible right I'm now. I'm pretty awful. Right? <laughs> well, no, but there is. It, it, there's, you get to the end of the editing process, and you're like, oh, my God, there's like 45 minutes of scenes that we didn't need. Right. Shouldn't I have been able to see that in the While script we phase right. and then have all those production days to spend shooting the stuff we are going to keep? Right. But it's just a consistent thing where until you get the whole thing together as a living, breathing thing, you don't know what no. what needs to go and what needs to stay. You Especially know? with a movie with this kind of complexity, too. You just – it's – probably better to get more right uh the makeup in this shot if the it's makeup was so ever going to hold up or not hold up it was in a shot like this and uh kazu kazuhiro suji who's our makeup designer um was just uh, a genius yeah i love kazu so much he and i so kazu and i i'll, I'll take the time to say at this point i guess um <laughs> kazu and i first worked together on gi joe rise of cobra he did my crazy prosthetics on, mm-hmm. on that. And then when Ryan and I were speaking about this character and how we were going to do it, even from the very beginning, we were like, it's going to be a makeup thing. Because we talked mm-hmm. briefly about doing it digitally, and neither of us really liked really. that idea. Yeah. Um, so it would be a makeup thing. And I instantly was like, we should really talk to Kazu. I, I know he normally does like bigger budget things than this, but you know he and I made friends, and I think he might really get a kick out of this and it was i was so happy when he agreed mm. to do it mm-hmm. and jamie who applied the makeup Amazing. every single day. jamie kelman jamie kelman he, he because it was an art form unto itself um the application absolutely. the application and the maintenance i mean and he found yeah. out during yeah. the course of it because if, when you would sweat little bubbles would rise in it right. so he had to go in with a pin and pop those pop. it was um, i gotta say you you joe giving the performance that you did with the amount of face prodding that you dealt with throughout <laughs> the course of the needles pushed in your <laughs> face. Just endlessly prodded <laughs> at the entire day after each take. They were like, hold on. <laughs> so this actor here, Frank Brennan, uh, was a, a local actor, and he was just fantastic. He spent, I, I forget how many nights we ended up shooting this whole scene. And originally, this was a much more protracted, a much longer sequence um we probably cut it down by about half there's a lot more business with him running and various things disappearing but once we got in the edit we just realized you you know he's great kind, and kind of a short sweep yeah i mean that thing you were talking about just you know without any words at all just having to communicate it's funny this is a scene that when we first put it in uh the editor our editor bob Doucet, who's a fantastic editor he said, I bet you're going to end up, I think this scene should go. I think you're going to end up cutting the scene. Right. Because it's a, it's, because, well, first of all, because we had it in with all, without all the effects, so it wasn't as it's effective It's so hard as it to was. know when you're not looking at it finished. Yeah. But also, it is a little narrative cul-de-sac. It doesn't connect to anything else, really. It sets up this piece of information, and it's an effective scene. But um, those, those are my arms, by the way, in his pant legs. Uh-huh. <laughs> But, but it's it, completely necessary because if I you think don't, so. well, that's if you we haven't up. seen it, then how do you wear the stakes for once it mm. starts happening? That's what we ended up coming out with. Right. This was one of our more complicated effect shots in the whole movie, even though you wouldn't think so. This mm. is actually like three shots Oof. stitched together, and by the end here, the whole street has been like digitally replaced, and his pant leg is actually um, uh, is actually digital. Wow! Wow! But it took a lot of manipulating. Uh, 
And then this was actually, uh, yeah. How'd as, you do that? That one shot from behind, that was another actor we brought in um, uh, who, who didn't have arms, actually. Wow. And we just made up the back of his head with a wig to look like Frank. Wow. And he came up. And so it's a combination of low and high tech. Noah working his little gun spin in there anywhere <laughs> See, he can. But it's just, he makes it look easy because he practiced so much. So that gun hard. is... I think seven and a half pounds or something. Yeah. It's absurd. very difficult to spin it on mm. your index finger. It like is that. absolutely absurd how huge that gun is. And yeah, it's, it just takes a lot of skill. Piper. 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 Uh, this scene is interesting because we, and this, I don't think this has ever happened before where the scene as written, when we went into production, I wasn't, I still felt like it was a little off. So, Joe, I don't know if you remember, but while we were in production, we took some time, and you and Piper came over. I remember. And we just worked through the scene and tried and and did kind of a uh, and just kind of talked through it. And I ended up rewriting the scene and and kind of finding what the heart of it was. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we really uh, feel like we really kind of found it and made made it better. Uh, starting the scene off with that watch with the or with the clock was supposed to kind of mirror you know Joe's pocket watch and to me there's there was a real more even more than the parallel between Piper and and uh and Emily's character the real parallel was between Piper and Joe's character and the notion that they're you know that that this is their, their job it's a it's a big part of the reason why um, why the nudity in the scene was really important to me, the same way that we didn't pull, that the violence is right there and in your right face when he shoots the people, yeah. that it was very just plaintive that this is, this is her job, this is what she's here to do. And the fact that Joe is asking for more than that is the big disconnect of the scene. Right. And I think Piper just plays it beautifully. Mm. And you're pretty good too. Sweet. Hey, thanks. Hey. <laughs> We had the camera up on its side for this shot, and I don't know if you remember, the mag didn't like it. The film mag, like, started squealing. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. Did you ADR it? No, actually, we we managed to get away with it. There might be one or two little things, but we didn't end up using much ADR um, in most of the movie, actually. Mm. We ended up saving most of the production. A little insert of the clock. That and all the other second unit shots, basically any shot that's totally disconnected from the actors, most of those were done by our incredible second unit, um, shot by uh, Jaron Prasant, who's a fantastic DP, who Steve and I have known since uh, since college. But he did a great job with that and a lot of the a lot of the cutaways and inserts, like that little shot of the silver going in. That's uh, that's not shot on the main unit. Mm. This was your hand, though. I remember yep. distinctly doing this. A lot of the other hands, though, are not me. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's true. At, at one point in Brick, Steve, our DP, we discovered was a great hand substitute for you. <laughs> and not anymore because he's worked so much. Now his hands are all messed up. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, you call me dainty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you haven't worked a day in your <laughs> life. In your life. Lily exactly. white hands. He actually works for a living. <laughs> so that, that took him out. Here we go with the man. Can't wait. Uh -huh. <laughs> Love that dude. Uh -huh. This, Ooh. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, was ab I was about to go into a thing about um, 
about the pocket watch is actually, I believe it's Turkish. Oh, really? Yeah. It's like 100 it's a years really old or something, right? Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Did you get to keep it? Beautiful. No. Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh -uh. No. 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 This way that, that Bruce appears and the way that everyone appears in the movie, I remember that was actually something really difficult to communicate just because I wanted it to be absolutely nothing when they showed up. And um, I'll say this, for instance, is like all those little inserts and stuff. It's all pasted together from uh, over shooting over like a couple days. But... Uh, but yeah, the way that they instantly snap on um, was something that because when once you know effects guys look at that, and the instinct is to do something like a you know time warp effect or mm. to do like a stargate effect, and I figured it would the one thing I hadn't seen that I thought would be more cool is just completely unadorned. They're not yeah. there one moment; they're there the next. Yeah. Right. Uh, you sure you don't want a little uh, <laughs> little space ripple? Just a little flare. <laughs> you want a little flare? A little puff of smoke? Yeah. We can do smoke. <laughs> this is a, in this sequence. There's some beautiful matte uh, painting effects, digital matte paintings, which um, Atomic Fiction, it's a company uh, based up in Northern California that did those. What did you say? Matte painting effects. Matte paintings. Yeah, the, all the city stuff where it's big, vast landscapes, mm. but it looks otherworldly, or the cities are burning or on fire. Um, you know, they're digital matte paintings. They're That's composites. So cool. And the, I mean, they used to. I mean, you, you see pictures of how they used to do glass matte paintings where they would actually, um, you know, somebody would actually paint it on, on, on glass, like the parts that were going to mm. be changed, and they would sit in front of the camera and photograph the plate with it. It was such a incredible art form, wow. which, is, uh, which is now basically, basically gone. Kid Blue comes in here with uh, these two jokers. We, we, we said we should do a spin-off called uh, Shorty and the Kid. And the big guy would name Shorty and be fight crimes. Uh, that handle on the door looks like a cross, which Bob Doucet, our editor, when we were bored and getting goofy late in the studio, would start looking for crosses in the background and say we had to do a whole thing about the crucifixion uh, symbolism we baked into it uh -huh. purposefully. So this thing here, we actually, we did this practically. A fantastic stuntman oh, took a dive yeah. in there, and then Lex, the bravest stuntman in the world, put his hand up, and there's a steel rod that caught the, the trap door as it came down, but the trap door actually came straight down and slammed, like, right oh, resting no. on the guy's hand. Yeah. Oh, no. Scariest thing in the, like, scarier than taking a jump off a building or whatever. I, I had to slam it down on there. Yeah. Did he scream? Terrifying. I mean, did he... Yeah. Did he break his no. hand? No, 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 Nobody no. Nobody had, but it, he made it, he gestured with his hand as to if make it hurt. Look, yeah. yeah. And then we ended up having to do some digital stitching between a couple shots, but it's mainly practical. And this... My was, 30th birthday. That was your 30th birthday. <laughs> That's entirely practical. All we did was remove wires. We just, right. we lowered Joe down, and he did the whole fall onto, onto some pads, and we went down following him with the camera on the techno crane. So that shot was, besides wire removal, was entirely... Uh, in camera. If you guys are looking for things to do on your 30th birthday, consider jumping off backwards <laughs> oh three stories That's right. You we brought out here. a cake and sang to him when he was suspended <laughs> up on the wires 30 feet in the air. It was, it was hard to beat. It's pretty cool. That's a good one. 
So this sequence was the one that we worked with the most in the editing room. Um, and this is uh, because it took us a while to really figure out how to get the storytelling clear in it. It was a big sticking point. It's still one of the more confusing, tricky things that we do in the movie. Not my hands. But oh, there you go. <laughs> they looked a little beefy. They looked a little masculine. Well, I think knows. they look feminine. Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, uh, what was I saying? Oh, so this sequence, it, originally it was, how dare you? Originally it was set in Paris. And originally the plan was, you know, Joe wants to go to Paris. And so we, thing is we were faced with the prospect of faking Paris in New Orleans. And our Chinese distributor approached us and said, hey, listen, if you're willing to set that sequence in Shanghai, we can make this a co-production and actually pay for you to come over to Shanghai mm -hmm. and, uh, and so basically we got to shoot for real in Shanghai for two weeks. Uh, was that the shot that my parents were in? Yes, yeah, right at the very beginning. Shot, yeah. If you pause it, that shot where first Joe goes over to see the city, if you pause it at the beginning, uh, Dennis and Jane are in the background. My parents came to China. Was How was so that great. nightclub? Uh, I was sick as a dog when we were shooting oh, in that right. nightclub. It was actually a really cool nightclub, but it was a nightmare for me and Steve because we were both absolutely oh, no. ill during it. I remember you let me pick the music. You're like, put something on. And I, <laughs> nobody, nobody was dancing. Yeah. They were just <laughs> like, staring at us. Right, it's okay. Found some Skrillex. <laughs> Damn it. Nah. I gotta say that one with Bruce with the long hair, that's where he really looks most like you, I think. It's it's really cool. Well, that was a, the concept of this was to bring them closer together. And then originally that was cut as a more elaborate thing where we actually did more intercutting between that push up on Bruce and you shooting up and aging. Uh -huh. And then there was a point where it switched over to him. But I, I think this, I think you get it from this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Summer, who's our, uh, who is our Chinese actress here, was absolutely wonderful. Yeah. She was, she was Fantastic. Yeah, and originally there was, and some of this will be in the deleted scenes, there was a lot more with uh, Joe and Summer where there was a whole thing where she couldn't accept him because he was a murderer, and so he threw his guns away for her, and mm -hmm. there was a, that fed into the whole thing, but it just, um, during the course of cutting it, it just uh, slimmed down to, to the bare essentials. So you, I, you still get what you're saying, though, that... Yeah, he does throw his guns. Well, that's it. what you realize, it, it, you, and that's part of the cutting process. I think is realizing what's what the audience will leap to, mm. what you need to connect the dots, dots on, and what they'll they'll make the leap to do. Mm -hmm. um, this is back in New Orleans. Anything that is because Bruce didn't uh, didn't travel to China. Anything that has Bruce in it is actually set in. Uh, we shot uh, New Orleans. China. I remember that detail the shot just a second ago of her hand on his foot. That was in the script. Mm. That's in the, the script. level of detail that, that's in a Ryan Johnson yeah. script. Uh, that was a really specific thing. I had, for some reason, it's hand my head in it. I gotta say that that's well, a very we, real thing. We mirror it later with that shot of you with, with, with Sid's face. Yeah. Yeah, right. that, yeah that kind of casual, casual thing. And here we're back to our, to our power plant. And uh, the time machine itself was the design of it. We, I wanted it to be really foreboding, but also really primitive looking. Yeah. And the design of it is and also dangerous looking. The design of it is based on the gadget. It's based on the first test bomb that they set off at the Trinity test site. And uh, what's the Trinity test? Trinity site? test site was um, 
uh, it, it was the first test of an a bomb of an atomic bomb and uh-huh. uh, out in the desert of uh, was New Mexico and they uh, and I there was a video game there's a computer game I was obsessed with when I was younger um, called Trinity which was a game kind of that was this surrealistic uh, beautiful game by Brian Moriarty it was a be- kind of a surrealistic uh, journey through the history of make of the atomic bomb and it came with this comic book that had a picture of the device and it looks like that and that just always stuck in my head and um bruce doing the uh the moral doing, of that story is don't mess with bruce willis <laughs> what is that amazing move where he drops to his back like that he I all of this he came up with all of this man this is he all did? him yeah 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 i mean he worked with the fight corps in there but really bruce just he he's knows just what done he's, a ton he has he knew what he was doing it was just it was really cool to see mm-hmm. this is in camera all right here we we frank Crank the frame rate. We ramped the frame rate down so that it started jittering. We and Bob Hall, our first AC, actually pulled the lens off the camera while he was shaking the lens mm. in, seating back and forth. Bob Hall is also Chris Nolan's focus puller. Mm-hmm. Pulled focus on, on Inception and Dark Knight Rises. And this was an incredibly difficult show, uh, po- focus-wise. We did a lot of stuff to put Bob in a really tight spot. Um, we were shooting wide open which means that the aperture of the camera is wide open and you're shooting in very low light. That also means that your focal plane, the amount of leeway you have where something is in or not in focus is really, really small. Um, and we were shooting close-up stuff really uh, wide open. It's just very, very difficult to hit. And Bob is just, he's, he's kind of the Yoda of, yeah, cool. of camera assistance. And that's an intense job, especially when you're shooting film because you have to hit it so exactly in terms of the focus. Yeah. A shot like this, when we're pushing in on Bruce, he's got to carry it with him. He's got to dial it exactly in. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't, you don't have a reference. You don't have a, it's not like you're looking through the, the eyepiece and you can see. You're just going based on distance. You're going yeah. based on uh, the numbers on the dial and dialing it down three feet, two mm-hmm. feet, and just a sense of it. And you don't know whether you hit it until a few days later when they get the film dailies back. Right. It's really an incredibly difficult, high-pressure job, and Bob Hall makes it look easy. Yeah, the guys who are really good at it, it's it's like they're performers along with yeah. they they because they they yeah. adjust that focus ring along with the performances, mm-hmm. so they have to have a sense of timing along with the actors the way the the scene is paced. When we were in China. Um, our, we had another AC, first AC who came out who's equally as good, and his name is John Connor, crazily enough. Hmm. Love Term, it. <laughs> Fucking kid blue. <laughs> I think Bruce ad-libbed that line, actually. <laughs> no, Bruce had ad-libbed. I ended up cutting it, but he ad-libbed, uh, this motherfucker's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really funny, but... <laughs> Mm-hmm. This moment here where the thing explodes inward. It works and gets a good reaction. I like the dripping. I had always pictured oh. more more blood actually. <laughs> but Ryan. I know. So I know. <laughs> Alright, so this was a really long, complicated shot. This was like a whole night shooting. So what's happening here is there's actually two stuntmen and Joe involved in this. There's a guy who we've now painted out who is doing the initial crawl. Mm -hmm. There's a guy who is hanging out down below who did the fall onto the hood. And then once we pan back up, Joe, you were hiding back behind the car and you switched places with him. 
And so this was actually all done in one shot. Wow. And it was this elaborate thing. And then the guy falling at the end, we added in digitally afterwards. How'd that feel being just yanked off <laughs> one-handed by Bruce Willis? With broken glass all over the place. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's fine. It's great. <laughs> it's great. Oh, shit. I can fix this. I really... I really love Kid Blue's character. That sounds... I don't know. As a filmmaker, I'm allowed to say that. But just what what Noah did, the way that Noah, what Noah brought to that character, and specifically his dynamic with Jeff, um, is just one. Even now that I've seen the movie three thousand times, it's one of my favorite things to watch in the movie. That shot just there was, by the way, one of those examples of very difficult to get into focus. Oh my god! Mm. Yeah, just no play at all. You just gotta hit it. You gotta know that you hit it. All the helicopters were uh, added in in post, in post. They were all digital. And um, I was very iffy about that just because I'm um, kind of a curmudgeon when it comes to digitally created vehicles. And I remember I had seen on the Blade Runner DVD extras uh, the optical comps of the flying cars before they added the flaring headlights in. And I was like, oh, my God, without the headlights, it looks... It looks like an optical. It looks terrible. And uh, those headlights just cover all ills. Right. And so I, I, I had them just really go heavy on the flare that was coming down from all the vehicles to uh, to make them more just these points of light in the sky. These are uh, my little cousins, actually. I solicited <laughs> my family for pictures of babies <laughs> to put uh, on the map. There's never a shortage of Johnson babies. <laughs> <laughs> it's really true. Plastic on the books in the library was something Ed Vareau just came up with. I thought it was a really cool idea. Mm. Yeah, the books are being phased out. That shot worked out nice. The scale of it. Yeah. So we had incredible uh, greensmen on uh, on this movie because we were shoot when we were shooting. The, there was no sugarcane. Basically, it was it was it was dead, and so anything you see there is dead sugarcane that's been propped up and painted green. Yeah, and it's basically artificial. So we really they, and our guys just did an incredible job. Was it that it died because of the weather, or was it? It's just, just a the wrong season. Time of year? Yeah, it's the wrong time of year. We we're there the exact wrong time of the year. And here's the diner scene. <laughs> so this was. All said, include, including the escape, I think it was three days of shooting. We had, at various points, um, we had two cameras going uh, for a lot of it. And our favorite statistic was, in the course of these three days, we shot more film than we did for the entirety of Brick. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's actually true. I forget what the footage count was. but Coffee? Tracy Toms who uh, came in and did the part of Beatrix very, very graciously. She's a, she's a terrific actress. She's terrific. Yeah. Between her and Bruce, her I felt days. like I was in a Tarantino movie. Yeah, completely, <laughs> completely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tracy's just the best. This is also one of those scenes where... Uh, oh, wait a minute, this, the, the little bit of business between the two of you here when he says the thing about three letters and you say that would be better 
That's one of the few ad libs in the scene, actually. Ah. That always gets a laugh. I love this profile because you can really see how muscle the prosthetic is, you know, with the nose and the lips and yeah. it's really cool. Yeah. This, is where it, this is where it pays off. Mm. Now, and for us, too, this is the first time that we had shot the two of them together. Uh-huh. And so it was kind of a, a, a sigh of relief for everybody when we saw them lined up and we're like, oh, yeah, that, that really works. Mm. Uh, this scene is an example where we were talking about um, when we were talking about uh, what to cut and what not to, and connecting the dots specifically with the time travel logic. Because originally there was a whole section in the scene mm-hmm. where and it was kind of a gag that after at some point Bruce says, "You know, I don't want to be making diagrams with straws." Mm-hmm. At some point he gets frustrated trying to explain it. And he goes, "Hand me those straws," and he starts making a diagram. And he actually started explaining not so much like a timeline but more just kind of a visualization of, of how his head was becoming hazy. And it was nice but it was one of those things where we just – you figure out that you don't need it. You figure out the audience, not what the audience cares about or is right. thinking about at that point. And you just – you have to be brutal and and, uh, and cut anything that isn't just attached to the spine. Man, so do you know what's going to happen? You've done all this already as me? I don't want to talk about time travel shit. <laughs> <laughs> that gets a big laugh. Mm. Well, that's being able to just kind of dismiss it like that. So smart. Though. Well, the approach to time travel in general, and because the movie is really not about time travel, and so that was one of the big challenges in writing it was figuring out how to get time travel to lay down so that the audience isn't having to process the rules of it the whole time. Right. Um, you know, because the heart of the movie is really in the characters and largely in just like the back half with you and Sid. And so getting it to the point where it felt like it made sense, which it really doesn't. No time travel in any movie ever makes sense. No. It's it's complete balderdash. And it's just a matter of tricking the audience into believing that it makes sense. And so that was a big part of the challenge. And it, one of the pleasant surprises was how much of even the explanation we shot and put in there we could end up cutting out uh, during the course of the editing, realizing that the audience is making these jumps and is not confused. And sometimes more information just serves to make it more confusing. It's missing. All I know. This was the first time Bruce really heard you do him. It's true. Right? Yeah, that's right. He was very nice. <laughs> he was very happy. <laughs> yeah, the way he reacted to that. Um, Pretty. She's mm-hmm. gonna save your life. Yeah, there was originally a lot more in this scene. That little quiver, like that's not actually that's 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 a, a hand double. It's not. Bruce's hand. <laughs> Nervous to be Bruce's hand. <laughs> well, he ha- it's tough actually to, and if you just rest your hand on a table and look at it, there's a little bit of quiver to it usually. And especially mm. if you're being filmed, there's, you know, mm. uh, and I think he had had some coffee in the morning or something, the, the guy who did it. But I actually, and so there's a trick you can do, especially for something like that, where you slow it way, way down. And we did that a few times uh, to steady, steady a really tight shot of a, of a hand. Wow. You slow it down, whatever, you know. Uh, 300% and that can steady it and Bob was going to put that on there and I actually asked him not to because I like that in that moment yeah, that little quiver nice. and it's something that's hard to fake that's something where when you see it right. people, someone trying to fake their hand quivering it's a tough thing to do so. I can do it I know you can <laughs> <laughs> for lesser actors it's difficult to fake <laughs> you ask me to fake anything I'll do it for you uh-huh. <laughs> 
this was another big editorial decision was um, because originally a lot of this stuff was summer that happens in this little flashback here uh, was was placed in the main montage. Mm. And um, holding that off for this, because uh, originally we revealed um, right now as it is in the big China montage, this uh, we cut out basically once he goes down on his knees and you see the house burning and we hold off and now and right. we hold off the reveal that she comes in and gets shot until this that wasn't the way it originally was originally we saw that in the original montage in the diner scene um just kind of played play, played more straight and um during the course of cutting uh it was something that that came up that was um i think it was actually it might have been jim stern one of our producers who who had the idea and threw it out there, and, and it just it, it played so well holding that piece out, and um, it also helps to break up the diner scene, to break the diner scene in half, so that you have this kind of burst of visual information in the middle of a uh, scene. Summer is so I love so her performance wonderful. here. Yeah, both of them here, which she conveys just with her her eyes. Have you heard of the rainmaker? Seth said that night. Neither of you eat the food. <laughs> no, Smart. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. I have to take 20. Have to take 20. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, uh, under those lights. I made that mistake in my first film. Oh, they yeah. handed me a fried breakfast. Oh, no. Good British fry up. And you had to. I felt so ill. It's the end of the Wolf day. down those bangers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. You can see Joe's eyes really well in this close up. And. It's because it, so Joe, you have you have brown eyes. I have brown eyes, and I'm wearing blue, blue contacts, contacts, which is the toughest thing to do. It requires the most uncomfortable lenses to turn brown eyes blue. Yeah, because they're so thick. Or? Well, because you're turning. Yeah, dark, it's easier if you have blue eyes. And you want to turn them brown. Mm. It's just a matter of laying brown on top of them. Mm. With basically, this is like a painted blue ring mm. on it. Uh, but we noticed a weird thing, which is it would. The the uh, lenses, the color of them would fade over the course of like a few weeks, and then they would pop new ones in, yeah. and they would be vibrant, bright mm. blue. Yeah. So there actually is some. I think it's realistic because it, people's eyes look different under different lighting sure. conditions. But there yeah. is especially like especially blue eyes, they change a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Here now, in this county, and I'm going to use this to find. And it was amazing how. Uh, even with all the face stuff, I feel like the eyes were still maybe the biggest, the biggest difference, the biggest kind of. Absolutely, when I when I, would, pop those in. I would do the whole makeup, and not the eyes, because the eyes you do last. Yeah. And it, it would feel incomplete until you put the eyes in, and then right. I look in the mirror and go, like, oh, there it is. Mm -hmm. Right. This little bit here, and this ties the whole thing in together, and this specific thing was, again, this was maybe the one other thing in the movie that we all came up with together. That's right, when we were rehearsing. Yeah, when we were rehearsing, this whole bit about just show me the thing and I'll do it, and, you know, this is so stupid, you know, and, and that turn. And he really hit me there. <laughs> that was one of my prouder really moments. I got really hit in the head. You. Yeah. Hit me in the neck. At <laughs> uh, least one of the takes. Yeah. It was definite impact mm, between boy. Bruce Willis's fist and my head. 
I, I think if you don't get hit for real in one of our movies, we're doing something wrong. That's right. I got hit for real in Brick. Yeah. Noah. Noah tagged you. The other Noah. The other Noah. That shot right there, that little twisting shot, we did using shuffleboard wax. We uh, right. put this super slippery wax on the ground and just slid the camera over. Steve wow. had this trick, which we actually figured out from Brick. We first did it in Brick. Music over this scene is uh, was I think the very last thing we dropped in for the longest time. I resisted having any music over this scene, but yeah. what Nathan did for it worked really well. <laughs> that really happened. And when that happened, yeah. I think everyone was like, "Oh, we have to do it over." And I was yeah. like, "What? That's right." <laughs> uh huh. I like Kid Blue's limp also. Yeah. Did this ridiculous limp. It's kind of like a sad villain. For the slap bike too, we, similar to the way that I wanted all the floating things on strings, I didn't want to have to, although this is uh, obviously a comp. I didn't want to, <laughs> one of the, yeah. Well, uh, I, I, <laughs> Ryan, come on. Okay, I'll be jumped. When the slap bike is actually flying, I didn't want to have to just comp it in, and so, um, and so we actually built a truck with an arm coming off the side, holding the slap bike up, and and drove with it. Emily Blunt. Oh, she's that arrived. <laughs> that chopping. Why don't you talk a little bit about that wood chopping? Well, uh, I had never chopped wood in my life. Um, before this film and I just didn't want to chop like a sissy so I had the props guy drop off some logs in my back garden in LA and I practiced for about a month beforehand mm. um, but that was the easier chopping wood scene there's a scene later on that Joe and I have where mm. I, I chop wood for about six hours straight yeah. and could hardly brush my teeth that night, uh, you know? You were re it really messed up your shoulder for the rest of the shoot. Mm. I felt so bad. It was... Uh, it's all part of it, Ryan. It's all part of it. To the point where, uh, you know, even holding the gun up was... was, was yeah, I think that was pain. the thing that did it, actually, holding up that rifle. Yeah. This, I really... I, I, I fought... Uh, not really other people, but I fought myself to keep this in mm. up till the very end. I, I just love the way that you play this long moment. And it was something that obviously could go. And, it, you know, it's uh, it's something that is just like this long, strange moment that plays. I really love taking this long a breath, first of all, at this point in the story. I do too, yeah. And just letting you absorb this new person, who, are, especially because we're yeah. meeting you so late in the story, having this long moment to stare just at this new person. And it's so meeting. different. The whole world is so different from what we've just seen. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like it was really important. And you do learn a lot about her, just in that moment. she's not saying anything. Yeah, yeah it was really beautiful. Uh, this house is a house that we found uh, in Thibodeau, Louisiana, which is um, an hour or so outside of New Orleans. And we did a lot of scouting to find this house because it's, this is kind of like a traditional Midwestern farmhouse, and those just don't exist um, uh, in Louisiana in and around New Orleans. This was kind of an anomaly. It's kind of miraculous we were able to – our location guys found it. Um, so – and it's basically as is. We – Knocked, we built the still staircase in it, yeah. and we um, did some adjusting to the walls, and we extended the porch. But other than that, the house is as it was. 
It's just you telling me to go full metal jacket. That's right. Do you remember? <laughs> I think I told you to go Sam Jackson. <laughs> you did. I think yeah. I said go full Sam Jackson on this. <laughs> it's like my agent's favorite line. <laughs> you should make that make that your uh, your ringtone. My agent now calls me saying, "If you don't ring me back, I'll cut you the fucking." <laughs> <head."> <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, all this Kane is on life support. Anytime you see Kane in the movie, mm. it's um, it's basically the our incredible greensman. Hap, remember Hap? Hap was the one to give me yeah. amazing. Massages. massages as well. He had all uh, these crazy oils, and it was I have I was to point out jealous. the way <laughs> the way the frame warped like you that didn't right have the then. Magic hands. I have to point out real quick that was Bob Hall again. The way that frame warped wow. just then, right? Because we were shooting anamorphic, which is an uh, is not a spherical lens. It's like a compressed lens. When you do a focus rack, anytime you can see the whole frame breathes. And so I told Bob just rack it back and forth real quick, and let's see what we get. And he was having so much fun jiggling yeah. into the wall, 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 wall. So that's just a that's an artifact of the type of lens we were using. And their work is always invisible, the focus mm, pullers. So to like actually step out into the foreground is something you can yeah. see. Yeah. This is a really beautiful scene between these. I really love the work Noah does here. So sad. And there was um originally there and this will again it'll be in the deleted scenes, but there's a whole second half to this scene where after he hits him with the hammer, the guys drag him out back, um, and there's kind of a Miller's Crossing scene where they're dragging him, and he's begging the guy, and the guy is going to shoot him. And at the last minute, uh, Kid Blue pulls a gun out of his uh, an ankle holster that he has and, and, and gets the guy first, and he runs off into the rain. And is a really nice scene, and Noah did a great job. Both Noah and the stuntman did a terrific job with it, but we realized that... The scene dramatically oh. was just, it was over at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm. And we realized that the real meat of the scene was right there and everything else after that, as cool as it was, was um, was kind of a, you know, an epilogue. Mm. Mm-hmm. So Noah had to be face down in a dirty alley and New Orleans. <laughs> well, more than that, this huge emotional scene he did where he's begging for his life, that was right. the toughest thing I had to, because there were a lot of Kid Blue scenes that were cut, um, which we're going to, hopefully have Noah on in the commentary to talk about and the deleted scenes. And again, they're some of my favorite individual scenes in the movie, but a lot of them, because of the nature of that character, they were connective tissue. They were mm-hmm. connecting the dots from A to B to C to D. And for a lot of them, we just realized we didn't, uh, we didn't need them. Steve, the stuff Steve Yedlin did out here those distant lights and then with this and laying it go that dark Steve yeah, just did, so a great, cool. did a great job with the uh, exterior night which is always a Stop right there. exterior night's always a tricky thing to deal with Stop. Stop right there. and here is Ponce who played uh, oh, he, was, he was so cool man mm-hmm. mm. you fall down a lot in this Come movie on. <laughs> She's a chick, you know? <laughs> For some reason, it's I remember. True, actually, I never you do, you fall down that. a lot. She's You're such always... a klutz. <laughs> such a klutz. <laughs> uh, 
This is really well done, this puking. That is not easy, actually. I'm an expert on vomit takes. I think I actually, on the day, went, (laughs) (laughs) made me gag. This scene was a pain in the ass. This seems like a really simple scene, but originally there was a lot more exposition, and and it just was not working. It felt like, you know, it felt like, why is she saying all this, explaining all this stuff to him? And, And we... I remember we worked with it on the day and simplified it, and this just works so much better. Now here comes the real star of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Little man. What was the story? Uh, Do you remember the Pierce story? It's a great way to introduce Pierce. Oh. (laughs) Who was he talking to? He talking to you? His mom mom told me a story uh, about... Uh, I forget exactly. <laughs> I remember it. It was okay. So he was, uh, he was seeing. They were, they were like, they were next to you, and it, it was something like, um, you know, uh, it was something like you were doing some work or something like that. And and she said to him, "Now you see, Pierce. Even even though Joe's the star of the movie, he's still working really hard and <laughs> doing all this stuff. So that's." So you know, that's yeah. something for you to for you to look at. And, and Pierce looked at her really seriously. Her face just fell, and he said, "Joe's the star of the movie." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember right. him in the auditioning process, which was the scary part of casting this kid. Yeah. Because you needed that kid who was just spooky good, and yeah. and had something kind of heightened about him. You know, and that's hard to find in a four or five year old. You know. Jaron Prasant did this shot also. This is Very a beautiful, cool. cool shot. Yeah, Pierce just... I remember um, you asking uh, Pierce to do something in his audition, and he said, I'll only do it if you give me the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so, almost why he got... That was pretty that's good. That's kind of why he got the part. That was really good. <laughs> well, at some point in the audition, he, like... We had auditioned the poor kid, like, six times. We kept bringing him back and back and back and yeah. back. And at some point... He he was like he was like I kind of don't want to do this anymore. I think I'm you like, were emotionally asking him to go to a really deep place, and he was like, Nah. He, 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 <laughs> seriously, <laughs> like he said, I'll do it. I'll say I'll do it when the cameras are here. Yeah. yeah. He says I'm not going to waste it. Right now. Yeah. I love Bruce, that kid. Oh, yeah. God. Bruce does a really great job in this scene. This scene, I actually did largely just because of what Bruce brought to it, it ended up playing really well in terms of communicating the emotion of losing the wife so much so that there was a later scene that there was originally in the film where after he comes back and finds it's Piper's daughter, he's going back and forth again and having like an internal moment of whether or not to throw away his guns and give it, give it all up. Mm. And that scene felt redundant because this one played so well. It's one of those things that you just can only discover in the editing. Mm. I like the blanket. <laughs> I like it too. <laughs> Science fiction. And we took the, the scene out with the car as well. Remember where yeah, I had the... Yeah, that's going to be on the lead. Yeah, mm. originally there's a whole thing where, again, it's connective tissue. It's it's stuff There's a really nice scene, but when it's gone, you realize, yes, it, it mm. makes sense just to hop. Originally you saw Sarah actually dump him by the side of the road and then have a change of heart and bring mm. him back into the barn and chain him up to the to the thing. Right. Mm. I'm about to finish cleaning. Put it down. I find that really funny. I never get to laugh either. I think that's, I think, uh, uh, 
this barn was another that thing was real built. by the way you tossed me those keys and i couldn't move my wrist because i was handcuffed to the cot and you managed to toss them just so that i didn't even have to move my hand and i could catch them <laughs> acting well-tossed key acting uh edinburgh built this barn that was the other big build thing that we did out here so this is the thing I where your, your shoulder was totally thrashed and this is where you had to hold that gun up. <laughs> and I think in this shot, there's actually one of the grips is holding the end of the gun. Just, I, I think, think after about... After a few takes. After a few takes. Yeah. It's not the gun I'm not afraid of. You're going to do shoot in the air, try to scare me, go ahead. You wouldn't let me die, you're not going to kill me. Well, so now I saved your life, that makes me weak? This is also the first time we kind of get any of the back and forth with you two. And this little kind of Looney Tunes. We shut when we first moved out to the farm here. Um, it was I forget our whole schedule was fifty days. I think it was was it how many days? Rom, do you? I'm looking at Rom out in the studio. Was it was it thirty days in the city and then twenty? I know I worked three weeks, so I think maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. But when we first moved out there, the first thing that we shot actually was the whole scene in the field, the whole end oh, showdown. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because uh, we had Bruce for that overlapping week, and so we shot him out in the field. And we uh, got so lucky because there was no rain. It didn't rain a single day. It was blue skies that first week. Right. And we only realized when a week later we did have our first rain day how lucky we got because when it rains here because of the water table, there's just nowhere for the water to go. And you're basically sitting in a mud lake and the water has nowhere to drain to. So um, if it had rained at any point in that first week, we would have just been totally screwed. Right. Continuity-wise. We, we lucked out. Yeah. I can't go back to the city because Abe... That uh, that's back in New Orleans, the place that Bruce is, and that kind of over overpass, which is kind of the visual thing. We we decided to have tie that whole sequence together. Yeah, is uh, this is a beautiful big foreboding thing. To murder my son because he thinks you might be this rainmaker. Remember, we tweaked in here also like the information that was being given. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right another point where I was figuring out exactly what to say and what not to. And there was another scene, which I don't think we were including in the deleted scenes, where Bruce actually came up to um, Camden, who's right here, the actor who plays Daniel, in the park and had a conversation with him just to scope him out and make sure he was the real kid. And it was this really creepy conversation between the two of them. Um, it was really, really cool, actually. And uh, But it was one of those things where it just wasn't the heart of the scene. So this is the moment that, uh, from the very first moment that I'd finished the script and uh, showed it to my intrepid producer, Ron Bergman, and we started to go out there, this was the moment coming up here that was obviously the biggest uh, sticking point, to the point where I, I feel like Ron right. might have been humoring me a little when he let me leave it in. I feel like Ron in the back of his head was like, yeah, we'll end up cutting that out at some point. But <laughs> yes, it's okay. Leave it in. It'll be okay. We'll figure out the way to make it work. <laughs> and he always referred to it as shooting the baby. Shooting the like, baby. It's not a baby. It's a toddler. <laughs> what are you talking about? You're not. Uh, 
But it's, it's so first, good. But I mean, first of all, it's a testament to Rom and to uh, Jim Stern and the whole team at Endgame that they trusted that this moment would work in the context of the movie as a whole. And um, and we actually, once we actually shot it and got it in there, and especially once we got this scene after Bruce's it, Bruce's reaction to it is yeah. so heartbreaking. I think that's what that's really what what earns it and what mm. saves it is what Bruce brings to this scene mm. right yeah, here. Yeah, his sort of sickness and self-loathing is what justifies yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we once we actually got it in the movie, um, we never had any. Uh, surprisingly, we haven't. We didn't really have any audience kickback. I mean, it's not something that's good to watch or feels good and people mm. would say that makes me really uncomfortable but they would also say but in the context of the story it's really you know it's necessary so it I love the music here as well it's Nathan's, so yeah. beautiful yeah yeah so much of the score is uh, rhythmic and, look at that yeah. oh, look at that she does have goosebumps that's true yeah Bruce just really Took it, took it all the way here is really amazing to watch. It, his ear, his right ear also, I don't know if you'd really even, you, you do notice it during the course of it, but that appears the instant after Joe's ear gets shot in the apartment and poor Bruce had to, can you believe poor Bruce had to have that thing on there yeah, the whole that's, time, that's Joe? Tough, it's really a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> it took like 15 minutes to put that on every, every time. Morning. I don't know how he stood it. <laughs> Uh, it was your decision to go to go blonde. It this was, one, uh, which is. I remember awesome. I called you. I said I don't know why I'm feeling that she, you know she's outside all the time and yeah, bleached out and and hot and sunny and yeah. So I just felt that it would be good. And I asked you. I said, did, how did you picture her when you wrote it? And you said, actually fair. Yeah, fair yeah. It made a lot of sense. And I don't think I have you been blonde in another movie? Mm -mm. Yeah, it's such a different mm -mm. look, and it's so. Yeah, you look so really good. different now just looking back and forth between you and, mm. and you on the and screen. And this is still pretty light yeah, right now, it but is, it's yeah. not like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that in the tan, just yeah. not knocking all the blue blood out of you. <laughs> Pale Brit. <laughs> Pale Brit. <laughs> you limey. The pasty limey. Yeah, if I say limey. Oh, let me start doing our bad English impression. Oh, God, our bad British don't stop. accents. You love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> know how much you love it. Mary Poppins, stepping oh, no. toys. Oh, that's all Joe says. Well, that's that's. I love some cheese on toast. I love a delicious strawberry whipple. I love the meat pasty. Actually, that's not bad. That's not you bad. You don't sound it? like me, but you sound Irish. I watch a lot of Mike Lee movies. There you go. That's really the trick. Yeah. <laughs> I love the lighting in this in this scene. Steve had a really specific idea to have this kind of dim, warm lighting here so that when we see this, which is one of the more so pretty shots pretty, yeah. in the movie yeah. with the sunlight, it makes sense logically that the sun is setting behind the house. Um, and Steve was really excited about that that lighting idea. Well, we're going to see what he is. All right, but I need you to stick with me. Good boy. He's so cute. Oh, my God, in those overalls. I couldn't even handle it. <laughs> That's a very she pretty shot. He was so shot. cute. Mm -hmm. This was a. I remember we uh, we had to bring a kid in to do the hand over Bruce's mouth right here, and he was just a, an extra who we brought in 
And I remember he was terrified, Aww. understandably so, because this location looks like this. It's a, it's in that power plant. It's a dark, scary like location. And we brought him in, and at, it was like nighttime, I think. And we bring him up to Bruce Willis, who's there, like, and he had to like put his hand in there. And I think the kid was just uh, scared. Really, really scared. This is Pitt, one of Pierce's great scenes. Yeah, he really, uh, and the, he's doing so much business here also. So Pierce, yeah. I mean, the way, and you guys can talk to, I mean, the way that Pierce, the way that Pierce did this perform, I mean, he would come in and just, he would do the whole scene front to back, a long dialogue scene like this and just nail it. It wasn't like taking it in chunks. It wasn't taking it line by line. Yeah, he truly understood. I think the difference between him and a lot of child actors that he truly understood he was playing a character. Right. Like he understood the distinction between his life and this kid's life. Mm -hmm. And I think a, a lot of credit should be given to his mom, who's so fantastic with him and would really explain emotionally where he was at in the scenes Absolutely. i think i think that and and then and then you you would go in and speak to him like an adult and speak to him in an emotional sense because rather than saying hey pierce you should be scared here you're mm -hmm. explaining why it's so frightening and he responded better to that i remember at some point when we, i think it was when we were auditioning um i i hadn't didn't know him yet and so i did i did a, some horrible directing I, it was a beat like that where I said to him, okay, and so here you have to you have to act scared. It was mm. terrible directing that a real actor would just like throw you out of the room for. Mm -hmm. And he, he looked at me and he goes, I don't know how to do that. Mm. Uh -huh. I was like, oh, mm. man. Wow, he's a... Uh, mm. This kid is, is for real. But something that you said to me a long time ago is we had, when we had talked actually a long time ago just about your experience acting as a kid, mm -hmm. and it always stuck with me, just kids can act. Absolutely, they can mm. be the very best because they're mm. they're closest to that uninhibited imagination. Yeah, playtime. Yeah. Mm. I was acting when I was six years old, which is a year I started when I was six. And mm. Pierce is five when we Pierce were was five. This. Yeah, but it it certainly brought a lot back for me. Yeah, working with him so closely. Huh. Uh, this truck was not supposed to do this. It was supposed to keep going, Ooh. but it T-boned, and we broke that truck. We broke the axle on it. Oh wow. boy! And luckily, the whole the cameras on a remote head. No one would have gone and hurt if we if it blasted through. But that wasn't supposed to happen. That's a map. That, that's an example of a map painting. All that right. stuff in the background. Very this is cool. real. I mean, this this we are actually up ten stories or whatever in this burnout building to shoot this, um, but we um, did little adjustments to everything. Here's the scene that killed your shoulder. This was it. This was the one. <sighs> Listen, I found the, uh... Yeah, that's not easy. That's a lot of... The wood was all uh, wet as well. I think it had rained the night before or something, so uh... it was... I think that's why it kept sticking. Uh... Or it's just my bad shopping skills. No, I don't think so. <laughs> when? Mm, the booty call frog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't give it away. Spoiler. Spoiler. I hope they've seen the movie already if they're watching the comment. I hope this That's is not true. the first time anyone's watching the movie. <laughs> that would so be shame really on you. Shameful. Shame on you. Yeah, just want and now in watching it, when we were editing it, knowing that your shoulder was was like getting more and more hurt after every take, watching the edit in, in the editing room, I would just be cringing. I'm like, oh, oh what did I do? No. Mm. 
And then this take, I remember so well, this being one of those this things yeah. on this set where we both head. really felt it, yeah. And that doesn't always happen. Sometimes you're really surprised when you get in the edit room. It's not the take that you thought it would be. And, and this one felt weird. This was it, yeah, yeah. I think you just got so aggressive with the chopping. You focused all that energy into the chopping. How'd she get killed? Christ. He remembers it. You gotta talk to him about it. I told you one thing. There was also, originally, there was, I honestly can't remember what it was, there was more complicated business in terms of a sister. Oh, originally there was a mom. There was a mom, yeah, and we just simplified it. I think it did complicate it. We did some ADR, yeah, yeah. to take out the fact that there was a mom, so it was just say, the sister. You really did nearly, you did nearly get hit when I swung that axe. <laughs> <laughs> you very brave. And I was like, promise me you'll yeah. get out of the way. <laughs> like, don't worry about it. It's all right, I got it. You'll just swing that axe. I'll be all right. Little lady. <laughs> we'll be all right. We'll be swing. all right, <laughs> Don't you worry. I'll swing your axe, mushers. <laughs> Go now. Uh, let's see if it goes back to the wide. We planted... Um, the only hats in the movie are the Rain Man's guy. And you see that little action figure lying on the background? You can see it also later when you come back to it. We basically planted little toys that were the only, were like basically the, the Rainmaker's men, the action figures of it. I love this moody scene little between face the two of you, yeah. Are you telling me what a long time mm -hmm. and he knows it. The other thing with Pierce, he... I mean, he would just, he would turn it on and Just off. Alone time. He's but in between takes, he was five years old. It wasn't yes. like he was an adult in the kid's body. He was, he was a five-year-old. He'd finish his coverage and be like, can I go now? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. no, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he would, you would get like three or four takes, and then he would start to get antsy because yeah. he was, he was he's getting five. bored. He's like, I did it right. What's, what he's on? I'm like, look at this kid. I mean, I know. it's just so hard to get. That's just so amazing, you know? This was the first, like, dialogue scene we shot with him. And after the first take, it was another one of those things where I remember really distinctly looking around at the rest of the crew and just everyone, just their jaws were dropped oh, a little bit. Oh, people were just mm. yeah. stunned by him. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of fun just to shout all day if you're five years old. <laughs> <laughs> Never get to do that. You were so good with him too. You were. I mean, he really bonded with you immediately. A big crush on you, I think. <laughs> and uh, and you were so wonderful with him. And my you favorite just spent day. Spent so much energy. Oh yeah, I, I tried to hang out with him all the time. Yeah. My favorite day was having lunch with him one day. He was sitting on my knee and he kept trying to pull my top down. <laughs> I kept going, Pierce, come on, don't, don't, don't. And his mom went, his mom was like, Pierce, that is so rude. Stop it like that. Uh, and eventually I went, why are you trying to undress me? And he went, because I just want to see him. He <laughs> 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 just so frank about him. From, from the mouth of I babes. remember he didn't like this thing because he didn't want me holding him like a baby. Oh, and he felt embarrassed. He was like, right. you're holding me like a girl. <laughs> <laughs> He was oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> he's mm. so cute. Yeah, he's pretty adorable. In a in a devil type way. <laughs> uh 
another map painting example, all the graffiti on the buildings here, and also obviously all that junk on top of that building and the blimp in the air. We we added so in after cool. after the fact. Yeah, yeah. just Little terrific. Things like that, just yeah, yeah, just terrific effects work. That's I think those are the ones the the digital effects that work best are the ones that are well placed amongst real things Absolutely. right blend yeah. into the real thing yeah if you can do the right combination that's why i mean you look at like you know guillermo del toro's uh, monsters i think that's right. why they're largely so successful is because right. they're not cartoons they're practical things that are um really intelligently really right. smartly accentuated with uh with digital effects did yeah. you do pan's labyrinth yeah, oh, God, yeah that was amazing incredible even in like the hellboy movies it's mm -mm -mm. just so well done that's how Nolan likes to do effects too. Is yeah, he, he makes exactly. something real, and then, you know, if he needs to beef it up or whatever digitally, yeah, you can, you can hide the yeah, the, the the digital stuff. It's the way to do it, I think. Garrett, Garrett is one of those guys who is just one of the best actors Truly. out there. Yeah, and. He's, um, I mean, I knew him from Deadwood. I knew him from, uh, which on Deadwood, he was so good that his character, like, died, and they brought him back the next season just playing another character. Um, they, in the uh, assassination of Jesse James by the coward, coward Robert Ford, which is just an incredible movie. He, had a, he was fantastic, and they had this incredible scene with Pitt. And... Uh, He's so creepy in this scene. He hit so that kind of intimidating, perfect yeah. balance of mm. doing so little, much yeah. with so little. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I find him really fun. I remember he kept cracking you up. Oh on God, set. he was killing me. I couldn't <laughs> even look at him after a while. He's a really funny dude. Yeah, yeah. Really funny. Ticking off the list business. Gonna require me coming in. <laughs> he makes you laugh even looking at him now. <laughs> no, it was when he's drinking that glass of water. That was like we got oh, one straight take right. out of him. Oh, that's right. That poor guy. Yeah, for that scene in the kitchen, he has had to drink glass after glass of water. That was that shot of just of you right there. Is a quick camera aside because we are shooting anamorphic, which is a really specific type of um, type of format. One thing I found that you could do is put a wide lens on the camera and do these really tight close-ups. That one of Emily was an example. The one, Joe, of you in the scene with Jeff was another example. Mm. And um, usually when you put a wide lens in an actor's face, you get a ton of distortion. And it ends up looking very just warped, which can be cool, but it's a really distinct effect. With anamorphic lenses, just because of the way the format is, you can really get away with it, and it doesn't feel super distorted. Um, and I... I just kind of just one of those pleasant things you just kind of discover and uh, really ended up enjoying it. Yeah, this beat with the water, it wasn't in the script. It was something just came up with on the day we were shooting. I don't know and why I... the sound in the silent room of someone drinking water always <laughs> makes me laugh. Yeah. There's something about that moment that, again, it's something we could have easily cut out, but I... It's funny, but there's also something really disquieting about it. There's something Sorry. like... Well, it's intimidating how at ease he is. Yeah. How yeah. much he makes himself yeah. at home. Yeah, exactly. So, the house. <laughs> uh, it's a really subtle effect, but the phones here 
this is a some some nice subtle effects work. We we did design these phones, and the idea is they're these flexible things you unfold. And mm. uh, and I like the fact that even with that, he he can't get reception. There you go. I think we actually I had him throw out the ADR line, uh, fucking AT and T at some point. We didn't <laughs> we didn't use it. You said the boy's in the city with his father. When they getting back? Couldn't tell you. Uh, I wish I could remember what I told Pierce to get him to make the face he's about to make. How he did this. <laughs> he's... <laughs> you want me to shoot this guy? Hey, you want me to shoot this guy? I don't know how he suddenly turned into a 45-year-old man hey, you want me for to that expression, it? yeah. Okay. <laughs> he looks so self-satisfied. Uh, he shoots men down for a living. He's a stone-cold killer. My bosses have the city looking for him. Half the city and me, so. So it's fun it's shooting fun. this. It's it's always fun when you do a shot where the dramatic content of it plays out entirely and it times out just right. Mm. I forget if we had somebody cueing Garrett. Also, I love what Steve did here. This is one of my favorite environments. This this set right here shot from this angle just because of that haze that comes yeah. in from the windows. It just looks so beautiful. So originally right here... When they went in here, and we have this in the lead scenes, the door creaked and Garrett appeared back there. Mm. And you and Garrett go down and he, like, does this speech to you about how, you know, if if, if he gets killed, they're going to be here right. within 15 minutes. So they go down in the basement and have to stand off. That wasn't the man. It's funny that I know that guy. Now. This scene, I was really... I had no idea whether we got this scene or not. And it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. You, you guys both do just terrific work in it. But I I felt like a little bit like I was – because we basically built a sweat box. Like yeah, it, it, it was, was so hot that right. day. It was so hot out there. And this is above ground. This isn't dug into the ground. This is a standing set right outside the farmhouse where it's just a box with that sod kind of on top of it. And it's all darked out. And I couldn't be in there with you guys. I was out by the monitor. Right. And it was this enclosed space. And I couldn't really see because it was so dark. And it was I had set the shot. And when I was having the camera, but I was just kind of listening uh, on my headphones outside. And, um, I mean, it all sounded good. But I, I just I, – I kind of – we just did a bunch of them until I felt like we kind of had it. But until we cut the scene together, I didn't really realize mm. how uh, um, how good it was going to feel, this this – Exchange. Mm. And you're doing great work. And Pierce, the way that he's listening here, the fact that he's really listening, right. that's more than anything. I mean, that's just great acting. Um, that's more difficult than anything else. You can tell else, he's I really think. connected with it. Yeah. Um, that's good. To me, that's that, that specifically in this scene is... Uh, Kind of the, the most amazing thing to see a five year old doing. Mm. I think we're clear. And then this again, we didn't have a hole dug. This is pasted together from this is kind of a, a standing set, and you're actually so you're up like eight feet in the air there, and we cut it together with with just this. That's why I love commentaries. You get to just ruin the magic of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> ruin everything. To talk in your ear while you're watching the movie and ruin it all. 
this cue from Nathan, we I remember up to the very final mix, we pulled it back and pulled it back and pulled it back. Uh, we kept peeling off elements from it because it was feeling too emotionally big. This whole block, and a couple blocks over. Because really it's the first moment of sort of acceptance between yeah. Sarah and Joe. Yeah. Mark Johnson, uh, who has a graphic house called The Maid Shop that Joe does a lot of work with, with Hit Record, did all the graphics for the uh, phones and for the screens and for, for everything. A really good job. Ribbit, 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 it's funny because I, I don't know. It, it, we, it, when we started showing the movie to audiences, I think um, what surprised me is, is how much people thought that we were reaching for a love story with it. And to me, it's, I don't know. It would, I guess, makes sense. But to me, what? at the end of the day, the point here isn't that they've formed this incredible connection and they're yeah. finally coming together. I don't think that you know. It's not about that at all. Really, I mean, there's like a form of trust there right. that's kind of formed, but um, you know, the the connection with her not having had a cigarette in a long time is is almost the bigger part of it. Absolutely, and the, phys and the physical yeah. part of it is less about. It's not about love. It's about having you know just somebody Someone's to. Someone's there. Well, they've been so isolated, but with her especially, she is exactly. so isolated. And I think that I mean, because also your mind, I think, mm -hmm. automatically reaches for some notion that it's the, a love story between the two of them that also motivates Joe's action at the end. And I feel like adding the voiceover at the end about the circle and about Sid maybe helps clear that up a little. Because in my head, mm. it, it wasn't that he fell in love with this woman and, and this boy and that's what kind of drew him to it. It was much more about, you know, I don't want to get too much into it, but it's much more about... Um, uh, what he sees in the boy and about what he sees in the woman. It's it's less about a love story. Mm -hmm. That uh, lighter was on the string. And I don't know if you remember, you, you remember this. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was our, our uh, FX guy was just up on a stool with a fishing pole swinging it back and forth. And it looks so <laughs> ridiculous. We were, I think at some point you were like, is this seriously what we're doing? <laughs> and it, we were just like, this isn't going to work. We're going to end up replacing it with but a cartoon lighter. It totally, yeah. yeah. Even before we painted the string out, it, it, it was amazing how yeah. well it worked. I remember this is the most your prosthetics suffered in that makeup scene. That That's right. Your, your, your makeup artist, Jamie, was having a heart attack. Not built for kissing. And yeah. he was like, do you mind like going a little gentler? <laughs> and you were like, no, sorry. <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, your nose started to fall off, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, we had to do a big, a bit, yeah. like a half hour retouch between yeah. take one and take two. Or yeah. You kissed his nose off. I <laughs> God. I certainly did. <laughs> This is a really, really beautiful performance, Emily. And this was something that um, in the edit I was really protective of because it is 
one of those things that could go. One of those things that could really easily go. And that that's at various points there is pressure to have it go just because it's this lull in the action. But to yeah. me, this is such an important moment and it's just so beautifully performed. I was, I, but I think it also of, feels the reason why he... Why Joe? I think it's essential. Makes a sacrifice. Yeah. The ending doesn't so, make yeah. sense without this. That's yeah. what I. That's yeah. what I felt. I felt like it really was was necessary to kind of for the fabric of the whole thing. Mm. And it's just so beautiful. And you with the cigarettes. And Emily had to smoke <laughs> like thirty cigarettes during the course of shooting all this. And you were so sick of them by the end of it. Oh and God. The very last shot we did after you were sick to death and your mouth felt like an ashtray <laughs> was the first <laughs> shot in the scene where you're supposed to be taking that ecstasy drag of that scene. Yeah. Like, yeah. the best thing in the world. Yeah, and, and you kept saying, I'm so sorry, but you got to look like you're enjoying it. Yeah, man. yeah. So I felt so bad. I think I had three showers that night. Oh, God. <laughs> like, I really She just, yeah. So you swallow shampoo and you just wash your <laughs> yeah, things, exactly. gargle. Yeah, exactly. Oh, the way the smoke's coming up in front of your face, that's a Steve Yedlin special right there. There you go. He's gonna be safe. He shot this, was, did we shoot it in the evening? I can't remember if this is day for a night or not, I can't remember. It's weird, because you're in, in the middle of it, the windows are blacked out, and so you kind of, it's hard for me to remember when it was. Mm. Might have been day for a night, might have been uh, in the nighttime. This sequence coming up is so beautiful. And this was really adjusted in editing. This is another one where I don't know if you guys remember how it was originally scripted. Mm -mm. Um, originally, uh, straight from the end of the previous scene, uh, we cut to Bruce smashing in the door of Piper's place. And then we intercut yeah. this extended dialogue scene that Bruce and Piper had where he's basically, it's not really a dialogue scene, it's Bruce giving a monologue, which he gave beautifully. It's a really gorgeous monologue where he's talking about why he has to do this and he has to make her understand and she just has no idea what's going on. She's um, terrified just sitting there. And, um, but there was a lot of dialogue and we originally intercut that with this. And we discovered at some point it was a lot more effective to, just the talking was just not necessarily, not necessary there as good as it was and so, we held off, we held it off until this moment here. So the way we did this, we had pads laid out, but Bruce, uh, Pierce is actually falling back onto pads and we painted the pads out. But he still had to be up at the top of those stairs falling and falling back onto pads. Towards a stuntman. He needs he, guts, that kind of thing. He was well. really, uh, the fact that he was able to go up and do that. And this was Everybody just- Everybody talks to me about this moment uh -huh. that's seen the movie. This was a lot of shots. And the living, the other thing with this is the living room is a fairly compact space. So we were doing a lot of cheating spatially. And you guys, this moment here. I love your face. Yeah. You, you were like, <laughs> And that, because we shot slow motion and because it was on film, we couldn't really tell if we got or not. We thought oh, we had, great. but yeah, mm -hmm. we had. And that's another thing where all that stuff, there's no cartoon stuff there. That's all on wires that we painted out. We just, it looked like a puppeteer's stage. Love that. His jagged little teeth right here. I know, he was losing his teeth throughout yeah, the course of the movie. That's right. And Nathan's score leading up to that point. This took a lot of, uh, 
explaining a lot of work to get that blossoming of the blood exactly right because it couldn't be gory. It had to look weirdly beautiful. It was gory. It would be too gross and we'd yeah. get a ew effect. And we'd, so I, I kept describing it as a rose kind of opening right. in slow motion to the effects guys. And all the stuff with Sid and the and the powers, a lot of this imagery at the end was really ex inspired by Katsuhiro Otomo's work, who uh, did uh, Akira. Um, but he also did a, a graphic novel before that called Domu, which is um, a beautiful graphic novel that's uh, about uh, kind of a kid with telekinetic powers going going ape shit. It's him. Was he some TK freak? He knew. This scene we worked with with you guys and getting it up to this anger level was the big step. And actually doing that, that was something that we kind of right, on I the day decided found it, yeah. and found. And that shoved down to the ground and the level that you take this up to is so necessarily no, yeah. so necessary at this point. But that wasn't something that we knew going, sitting down to shoot it. But I think it's great because that you got her panic because when your child is at risk like that, you know, because he's... Yeah taken off after him with these guns and well, and, and also it's nice with Joe because he's he's been so contained the entire movie exactly you know, it's the one first. thing of emotion you don't see from him is the anger and we also had uh, Dale Myron by the way our, our camera operator did all this on Steadicam and he was a champ um Oh, poor Sid. The most unhappy day of Pierce's life. So <laughs> Pierce hated having this blood on his face. Pierce could not stand having this icky, disgusting blood on his face. Mm. He hated it so much. His fake blood is very sticky. It's like syrup. and Yeah. It's like pouring maple syrup on yourself. Yeah. yeah. And so those... And you wore it all over your face, right? Yeah. To make I, him feel better. Right. I, I glopped it all over and I let him... It didn't really help much, but it got us out onto the set. And you let him put it on you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But those those tears, I mean, he was, you know, those. That's real. He was really, really not happy. We just had to get it as quickly as we could and keep him as comfortable as we could. And he wasn't, you know, in pain or uncomfortable. It's just he did not enjoy yeah, the feeling of having like that it. stuff on there. Yeah. But he was a trooper. He really got through it and made the performance. Yeah, and because of that, we had to shoot all this so quickly. It was yeah. really so strategic in terms of how long we had Pierce before he just couldn't handle it anymore. Yeah. And this shot, for example, he's not wearing the stuff on his face. No. I remember anything we could do without it. We, we did. Things have happened. My Luke knows Sid's the kid he's looking for. And my gang knows I'm here. So that means in 15 minutes, one or both of them... Joe, I sense you're w just watching the movie. I know, I know sorry. <laughs> <She's completely laughs> yeah. You he's haven't gone. spoken in a while. <laughs> It's a, it's a good movie. Just stop talking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Again, all all fake cane. That's a parking garage, La Belle Aurore. That facade is actually a parking garage in the middle of New Orleans mm. that um, Ed Vero did a whole thing on the front of. Wow! <laughs> My, I got him, My I... dad's big scene is coming up here. I love it. <laughs> this was my Mr. dad's Johnson. my dad's big scene. He did so good. Oh, bless him. Big Craig. It's funny, I, I, my instinct was to cut around him, and I kept truncating him and cutting away from him. And Aww. our editor actually said, you're doing that because he's your father. Exactly. You, he's really good. You have to trust his performance and just let him do his lines. I got the loot. Not such a fuck up now, huh? 
I'm bringing him up to C8. Oh. Yeah, this was a fun day. My dad, he loved it, though, did he? You can't even see, but my dad has this gory prosthetics on his face when he falls. And one of his prized possessions is we took a picture of him with all that gore on his face with his arm around Bruce. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> all the guns here in the gap. James Croning, uh, who is our, our props master and who kind of figured out all the guns and, and did all that work throughout the movie and, made, and designed the blunderbusses, um, just did a fantastic job. There was originally much more to this sequence with him going through the uh, the tunnels and shooting everyone up. There's a lot more business, but we found that just kind of a short, brutal punch of it was was all it needed. It's so cool. It was fun to shoot. I remember my mom was on set this night. And it was funny because anyone else in the universe, this would be the perfect night to show up on set because you're seeing Bruce Willis blazing through with machine yeah. guns. And my mom was so bored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was like, are they going to talk at any point? I'm like, oh. There was a lot of explosives and these two huge cannons filled with debris. Bruce was so into the amount of blood that we put on here. He was just like, let's do this. He said, if we're going to do it, let's do it. And he made me do it. He made me pour the, the blood all over his face. Fantastic. He just handed me the bottle. He took the cap off and handed me the bottle of blood. He was like, do it. And he told this guy, he goes, do it. I mean, this shot is so cool. <laughs> it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Like your goddamn time. Not showing the confrontation between them was something that was just in the script and just made a lot of sense to me. Um, I've, 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 people who have seen the movie have asked about it. It, just, it. it made sense to me to kind of, because we, we've seen people get shot. It's not like you're going to get anything huge more than that scene out of seeing uh, Abe's death scene. And more than that, though, what was really important about this was having this play from Kid Blue's perspective. Mm-hmm. having not getting the satisfaction of even seeing it and as the audience feeling that that you wake up and the whole party is over right. and you've messed up and this is all your fault and it's it's done there was you weren't even involved in it mm-hmm. and getting the audience in that headspace i think was was the real point of these couple of scenes noah again doing on his ninth life Quite a bit here. Yeah, he's the cockroach of this. Uh, <laughs> that was the other reason it made sense to cut that previous thing is because I think we just had one too many things where Kid Blue almost dies. <laughs> and, it. and I think it was taking it back just kind of helped uh, helped the whole thing at the end here. Showdown. This is This is the scene where we were shooting where at some point I forget exactly what, after some take, Bruce just very casually was like, you sound like me. It's oh. like, <laughs> yes! Love it. Well, and specifically because the loud stuff was what you were concerned about. I remember talking it's to you about true. that. Mm. Yeah, it's easier to do in quiet. Life My life! Your life! Becoming you! That's great, though. Yeah. It's crazy how different it is. Take everything you got and everything I got! See what he becomes. It's a lot of blood on his shirt. 
So that, for instance, I mean, that we actually did have, we shot two passes. We did one with the truck there and one with it uh, not, but we drove the bike through on that truck rig. And all right. this stuff, it's removing physical rigs, but the bike is actually there in the scene. It was fastened to a pickup truck. It right? was, yeah. yeah. It was armed off the edge of a pickup truck. This was one of the last effect sequences we finished, and I was always nervous about it because all this dust was put in after the fact, and I, th I think it ended up coming out all right. That's a cool final confrontation between these two characters. Kid Blue's giving Joe all of this shit about his gun yeah. that can't shoot yeah. distance, and in the end... Comes back to it. That's good writing. Hey. Yep. Baby, we're going. Put your seatbelt on. The uh, layout of that farm is just it kind of, we, I just can't get over how, oh, you see the actual, the crop duster right there, the yeah. crop duster robot. That was the physical build of it. Um, we kept making jokes that uh, at the end, in the edit room, that if we needed to, uh, if we tested really badly and needed to have it be a happy ending, we were gonna have the crop duster robot come through and save the day. <laughs> <laughs> like just to have him about to shoot her at the end and the crop duster robot knocks him through, knocks him out of frame going, digga, digga, digga. So this, we actually flipped that truck. We had so a cable cool. attached to it and we had, we did what they did in that one shot of Raiders of the Lost Ark, but we did it to a huger degree where we had a cannon underneath the hood of the trunk that fired a piston down into the ground and launched the truck back up and into the air. And um, and then we painted out the the, the piston, um, and uh, which they actually, they didn't have the technology to do. If you watch the one shot in Raiders where the truck goes on its side, mm. I think to this day you can still see the piston sticking oh, really? out of there, yeah. Uh, She's always falling, look at oh, that. Oh, <laughs> stumbling around. Uh, this field is actually, it was really dangerous because when you have a mowed down cane field, all those little bits that are sticking up are like daggers. And so I remember we had to cut a safe path mm. through that you couldn't really see for you guys to run across. And then the birds that flew up in that big long shot. Uh, I remember that, yeah. Pierce's hit and fall there always impresses me. Yeah, the fact great. That he, he led Fantastic. with his head and did the fall and that's a tough thing to, to do. How did you do that with the blood effect? Did that come afterwards? Or? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. afterwards, yeah. Here he comes. Yeah, there's the fury. Uh, Don't make him. Yeah, bad. you're gonna stick down Bruce yeah. Willis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boom. So all this dust and all this grass, I was so nervous about because this was all done in post, but we but had a- so cool. We had a terrific wow. effects company. Um, that ended up called Scanline, and they're based over in Germany, and they ended up just doing a fantastic job with it. But those poor guys, I was so nitpicky, and uh, we would just spend months just saying, that bit of grass looks fake, that bit of dirt looks fake, and saying right. it back and forth, and they were so patient and worked their asses off. And Look at I, that little face. Yeah. And with this, too, I mean, with you guys, we... We had cranes out in the middle of the field and we had you up on wires and just painted out the wires. That was my first wire work. Yeah. yeah. I, like <laughs> I to, loved it. I like to break you in. It's okay, baby. Bless him. <laughs> Bless. This is the part of the movie that gets me every time. 
I think that was real. That was real because of the blood. <laughs> he was actually so sick of having that blood on at yeah, some point. The tears started flowing it. and we got one more mom out of him and, and then he was done. See his little smile there right before he hugs you. <laughs> Five-year-old poking through. Yeah, this, this was, we were out in the middle of this field shooting this whole sequence for about a week. And it was your first week, and it was Bruce's last week. Yeah. And it was hot, and there was no shade. Shit, it was that just, week was really hot. Yeah, it was a tough week. And you're in the middle of this dirty field. Bruce would shade me with an umbrella between takes. That's right, he had a little parasol. He had a parasol. I don't know quite where he got this parasol, but it was a parasol. Flowery parasol. He was worried about my pale skin. Yeah, greatly so. Love this. Then I saw it. The voiceover here was a very, very late addition. Um, up until maybe the last month of editing, uh, this played without voiceover. This played just silent. And then we had talked about it, and I remember you and I had talked about it at some point. I was yeah. like, are you okay with that? And you said, I think that could actually really work. And so I wrote, I wrote this, and we just gave it a shot. I think this might actually still be, I can't remember if this is the temp or if this is the final that we recorded. We might have left the temp in, the original thing that you did. Again. Yeah. I remember when you sent me just in an email your first draft of this voiceover. Yeah. And I was like, fuck yes, this is great. <laughs> like, let me do this. Yeah. So I changed it, it. It really needed it and needed this little thing of Bruce reacting to it also yeah. was a thing that we, we did this as like a one day reshoot. We got Bruce back oh, just, to get, just to get that reaction. Oh, wow. Just because we needed one wow. last when moment of recognition. That, that was, I forget when it was. It was, you know. February. February. It's, it's yeah. February. yeah, just on a stage in LA. And just to grab that last little reaction from him. But that and the voiceover, it just kind of helps to, to cinch that moment and really make it land. Um, and that was, I remember, that was the first stuff that we all talked about was mm. just, you know, making the ending of this land is is the challenge. Like, we kind of back everything up from there. And uh, it's a tricky thing, making an ending like this feel satisfying, I guess. You know, it's, it can, and the worry was, you know, we really have to earn it. It's It's got to, uh, otherwise it'll it'll feel cheap and like a mm. cheat and just kind of like oh yeah well we killed him you know mm. and building up to the level of emotion where it would feel earned and it would feel right um was was you know a huge part of, so of just cute. the work in the movie oh, oh bless <laughs> bless him bless him he was embarrassed giving me that kiss Mm, no, he was not. <laughs> he told you he, he was. was. Just being coy. <laughs> we got lucky with the sun placement on this shot, gleaming off the silver. Yeah. This last cue of Nathan's is one of my favorites in the whole movie. He actually he gave me like the tracks, and this is something I still will like listen to every few weeks. It's this last score. It's so beautiful. Mm. And Emily, what you're doing here at the end in your face when you kneel down. Uh, by Joe, it's really beautiful. 
You talked me through this one, I remember. It's really, really nice stuff. That's your hand. That is my hand. You insisted, rightly so. <laughs> you always want to, it's always best when, obviously, when it's you guys doing it. Yeah, it's, mm. it is. And for something like this, it's just so essential. It is performance, you know. Something this, this fine, it's, you know, a lot of details going into that. That sky we replaced, that we what added it? in. It was just a blank sky and we, we put in those clouds. I had a vision. I wanted it to match the backdrop of Susie's bed. And it doesn't exactly, but it's fairly, fairly close. Mm. And originally, we also didn't go back to sit at the end. That was kind of a thing we discovered in right. the editing uh, process. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't in the script. Yeah. Who's so, that? Emily, we've thrown out to Twitter asking people if they have any questions about Ooh. the movie. Let's see. Uh, so you're in the middle of this Twitter experiment. Let's see what we got, Joe. Let's see if we got anything interesting. Here. Should we pause it while we look, or should we just see if we... Mm. Let's pause it real quick. So, uh, first of all, I should mention this song is a uh, beautiful old soul song by uh, Chuck and Mac, and they it, it's something I found on um, this collection, uh, which is... Um, Eccentric. Yeah, eccentric soul. Eccentric soul, you gave and it it's to me. yeah. Um, is it Numero the uh, the name of the label? We'll, we'll double check at the end. I forget. Um, anyway, so we threw out uh, to Twitter whether anyone had any questions. So we got a few questions from you folks. Uh, how much pressure was there to shoot with digital cameras over film and use CG effects? How can we keep film alive? Um, I didn't get any pressure at all. I, I'm a film guy. I love. I think. I think Film looks a lot better than digital, and um, we shot this on 35, and we did as much as we could practically, and didn't get any blowback. And the answer to how you can keep 35 alive is to shoot with it. It's um, it's still the best looking image format, and uh, it's also, I feel like the difficulties of it compared to digital are incredibly inflated. I feel like there's a fear of film. And the feeling that it's more complicated and it's more mm -hmm. difficult and it's exponentially more, you know, there's just a fear of it. And that's baseless. It's really, in many ways, a lot easier shooting on film than on than on digital. We just shot Don John's Addiction on 35 millimeter, and that's a really low, low, low budget movie. And yeah. it, it turned out to actually make more sense budgetarily to shoot on film than there you digital. Go. Uh, how long did it take to put JGL in the Bruce Willis look? It's three hours. Yeah, it was three hours in the morning. Um, by the end, after you practice it for months, they got it down to two and a half hours in the morning. And, uh, and it was about an hour. Uh, uh, no, sorry. It was a half hour at the end of the day to take off. Also, Joe couldn't eat while he had the stuff on. He could only drink these disgusting protein shakes. They so were disgusting. They got pretty good. They got pretty good. Anyway, <laughs> we, if you ate at lunch, we had to do a half-hour reset. And so basically, Joe was tired, uncomfortable, and hungry for the entire <laughs> length of the shoot. Did you make any significant changes to the script after running it by Shane Carruth? Shane Carruth is an incredible director. He's a friend of mine who did the movie Primer, which is one of the best time travel movies ever made. And I was lucky enough to be able to run the script by him and get some notes. 
No, I didn't really make any huge changes. Um, he basically told me all the time travel stuff was wrong, and I said, screw you. <laughs> and then, no, he, he made some good suggestions, but there weren't any major changes that ended up happening. But it felt good just to, uh, just to bounce it off of him. Uh, let's see, you got anything good over there? I heard on Brick, the cast watched movies like The Apartment. What did they watch on Looper? I don't feel like I fed you anything specific for this one, did I? You can correct me. Well, it wasn't as, you know, stylistic as, uh, as Brick was. I mean, me, I was just listening to Bruce Willis's voice in various Bruce Willis movies. That's right. And he actually recorded himself doing your monologues and That's sent right. you the recording. That's right. I hope you. Uh, was it ever considered to have the same actor play Joe with the use of makeup, et cetera? They, one thing we did consider, I remember it's really briefly, was you brought up the, the possibility of you playing both parts. Yeah, I begged you, briefly. <laughs> it would have been great. When you would have pulled it off. <laughs> hey, thanks. Uh, no, I mean, I'm so glad we didn't do it that way. Well, a big part, I mean, just because thematically it's so much about an old man looking at, an old, a younger man looking at an older man, yeah. and you can't, it, as great as you would have been. First of all, it's always hard to age up a young actor, I think. Yeah. I feel like even when it's fantastic makeup, you can always to some degree see through it. Yeah. But also, I just think you earn something with, with someone like Bruce sitting across the table from Well, you. yeah, and I mean, I think no matter how good a, a young actor is or isn't, there's no faking what comes from a few more decades of life. Right. And, uh, you know, that's what Bruce has, and I wouldn't claim to have it. And, that the character of older Joe should have that. Right. Doctor Who time travel or Looper time travel, which would you choose? Uh, Doctor Who is uh, has a lot more fun than Joe has in this <laughs> one, so I would choose Doctor Who time travel. Uh, what do you got else over there? Kind of scanning through. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got... Uh... What parts of the film do you think pay homage to science fiction and how has sci-fi grown to let you be able to make Looper? Well, I mean, there's science fiction is such a, I mean, it's one of my favorite genres, but calling it a genre is almost um, deceiving because it's, it's really something that always pairs with something else, or it usually does. The way that Blade Runner is a sci-fi noir or Alien is a sci-fi monster movie or Star mm -hmm. Wars is a sci-fi and a lot of stuff mixed together. Right. Um, I love sci-fi so much, but you really have to kind of talk about genre, sub-genres when you start getting into talking about sci-fi. And this, I, I'm not sure exactly, it's a, it's a couple things. Part of the pleasure of it, it starts kind of as a sci-fi time travel movie and kind of morphs by the end. It has some horror elements, but it largely becomes kind of a Western by the end of it, I think. Um, but to me, that was always part of the pleasure of it was, was having this thing that kind of transformed and became something else by the end of it. Right. Well, and I think that that's, that's all three of your movies is that, you know, Brick was a detective movie and Brothers Bloom is a con man movie and this is a time travel movie, but they are all standing on the platforms of those genres in order to do something completely unique and not boxed in by that genre, but Mm. kind of using those those tropes. Well, it's also all these genres, especially sci-fi, it's something we grew up watching, we grew mm -hmm. up absorbing. So for me, you know, it's... To sit down and write it, I read... You know, I re-read I re Macbeth because the dynamic between the... Um, 
That's the Numero Group right there is the name of the great label that puts out all these soul collections. Uh-huh. Anyway, I, I read because you know, the dynamic between the witches giving Macbeth this information was similar to old Joe coming back and having this little bit of information that he acts on violently and that ends up uh-huh. kind of destroying everything. So I think you have all the sci-fi stuff baked into you from watching all the movies. It's more interesting to look at stuff outside of that genre. Also, Warren Zavala's name just went by. It's uh, worth Warren. mentioning. He's my agent that helped a lot over Warren. the years that we were putting this movie together. Warren really was one of the guys who put the whole thing together. And Rom Bergman, who I didn't get in the booth. You didn't come out here. <laughs> and now he's giving us the he's thumbs up. He's giving us a thumbs up. <laughs> I give you the finger. Get the fuck out of here. No fucking way. <laughs> Do your thing. <laughs>